This is Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Follow on Twitter. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Spreading like fist. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Marking Out episode 680. I am your only host today, Brandon. You can follow me on Twitter at BTTG161. Same as Instagram. You can follow Chris at Chris Sweendog, CM Sween85. Dave is David PTDPT. Collectively, we are Marking Out at Marking Out. Marking Out 11 on Instagram and YouTube. Facebook.com slash marking out, pro slash marking out, of course, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and markingout.com. Like I said, I am unfortunately today your only host. I'm still not doing awesome as always. But uh I I watched the Super Bowl this week, which is the first time I watched it in full in maybe a decade or so. I don't know if that's the the Taylor Swift effect or something, but I I watched it. It was, I thought, a decent game. I don't think Usher was good, so that was pretty disappointing. But I think her, Alicia Keys, Ludacris, and Lil Jon were good. Outside of uh, Alicia Keys, that opening note, which was corrected on the YouTube page. But uh, I enjoyed that. Andrew Day, I thought, was, was good. I thought Reba sounded great. Post Malone blew me away singing America the Beautiful. I thought that was a fantastic rendition. I went and they they put it up on YouTube. I watched that over and over again. I thought that was so good. If if they released that as a single, I would 100% purchase that. Uh, And then I have to say I, I tuned into some of the Nickelodeon broadcast, which had Tom Kenny. And Bill Fagerbaki as Spongebob and Patrick doing commentary. And I thought that was hilarious. There are now tons of clips all over the internet, Twitter, TikTok from that broadcast. And I thought it was so well done. If ABC gets the Super Bowl back, we need the Muppets. We need Statler. We need Waldorf. I I thought that was a brilliant uh, addition to the Super Bowl. For, for children, and I mean people who <laughs> who might be uh, fans of Spongebob. Uh, it also snowed this week. Uh, I think it was the first uh, allotted amount of snow that we've had in quite some time, so that was something that I dealt with. Not terrible. But uh, that's really all I did this week. I'm going to kick this off, talk about Monday Night Raw. Not going to do the gimmick voice. But it opened up with the New Day and Jey Uso picking up the victory over Imperium, which I liked a lot of the back and forth. Um, obviously, Imperium cheated during this match. I feel like they do that quite some quite often, but they did a good job at pushing Jey Uso versus Gunther. I liked New Day both lifting up Giovanni Vinci for that one D in the end, but. Jay is now going to be facing Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship next week. I would have assumed it would happen at 
Elimination Chamber, but I don't think Gunther's allowed to leave the country. I think he's trying to get citizenship in the United States. I'm not 100% sure on that. I feel like I read that a few months ago, weeks ago. I don't remember at this point. We saw a vignette for Andrade where he covered winning his first championship at 13, winning titles in NXT and WWE, and then leaving WWE to find who he really is. And now he's back, and now he knows the direction and what, what the, the direction is clear for him. And I'm, I'm just pumped for Andrade. After that, we saw Bobby Lashley pick up the victory over Bronson Reed to qualify for that Elimination Chamber match. I really would have liked if Bronson Reed made it into the match. but uh, And he controlled um, uh, quite a bit of this match. And it made him look strong. But when he's facing Bobby Lashley, I don't see him... I could not see Bronson Reed beating Bobby Lashley. After that, we saw Cody Rhodes come out and he spoke about the We Want Cody movement. He spoke about The Rock coming out and uh, on the Pat McAfee show talking about the Cody, the Cody crybabies and everything else that he did at the press conference. And then he said that The Rock slapped him in the face and he will be returning that receipt. And then Seth Rollins came out and Cody thanked him for coming to his aid at the press conference. And Seth dropped a Moana joke. I thought that was pretty funny by saying you're welcome. It's one of those if-you-know-you-know gimmicks. But Seth Rollins said now that it's official that Cody is facing Roman Reigns, he needs to finish the story. And he asked Cody for his plan. He brought up Cody being screwed last year by Solo Sokoa, by the Usos. And he said Cody doesn't have to fight this battle alone. The segment, I think, went a little long, but I ate all of it up. I thought this was a great segment. This was just Seth Rollins coming out offering Cody that that teammate against The Rock and, and Roman Reigns. We saw Liv Morgan pick up the victory over Zoe Stark to qualify for the Elimination Chamber match. I like this match. I assumed Liv Morgan was going to win this, but at least Zoe Stark has been built up enough where you could actually picture her also being someone that moves on. I think she got a lot in on this match, so I think that's good with Liv picking up the victory there. Uh, I liked Liv Morgan eating that that Death Valley driver on the apron. And then Liv Morgan moved out of the way from that dive from Zoe Stark, and then she ends up hitting Eat Defeat and the Oblivion to pick up the victory. We saw the Judgment Day backstage where R-Truth was walking with them. And he's like, we look good together. Except JD needs to learn that he's not in the Judgment Day. And then Damian Priest spelled it out for R-Truth. And he's like, you're not in this group. All the beatings were not initiations. They were actual beatings. And when you go out there to face JD McDonough, it's going to be a beatdown. And then R-Truth... I guess, realized that Damian Priest is going to beat him down. He called The Miz trying to get The Miz to fly to Monday Night Raw, which I thought was hilarious. He's like, you were right. Please fly to Monday Night Raw. Miz obviously not going to make it for his match was literally the next match. 
but we saw JD McDonough pick up the victory over R Truth, and I really thought R Truth was going to win this. But R Truth, he got up after the match, and Damian Priest sent Finn Balor, Dominic, and JD on him, and he got up. He got the upper hand. So Damian Priest got in the ring, took him out. We saw DIY make the save, and then R Truth later on thanked them. And confused them for DX, which I thought, obviously, that's hilarious. And uh, R-Truth is an absolute gem. We saw Becky Lynch come out, and she spoke about why she loves pro wrestling. But also, that pro wrestling's caused her to miss a lot of important things in her life with her family. And she's obsessed with getting the championship back. And that starts with winning the Elimination Chamber. And then it goes... to to WrestleMania to face Rhea Ripley for that championship. And she she toasted Rhea's last few months as champion. Then Nia Jax came out and threw on some fake teary-eyed act and, and said that she knows nothing will stop Becky Lynch from winning the chamber and going to WrestleMania. And then she drops the act and she said, just like nothing will stop me from taking that title from Rhea Ripley. And Rhea Ripley showed up. She's pissed off from what happened last week. And she starts brawling with Nia Jax. Becky Lynch for some reason just stood in the in the ring. I don't know. I don't get why she wouldn't have left. But she ends up getting squashed in the corner. She fought back. And Nia Jax ended up getting sent out of the ring by Rhea Ripley. So everyone in that segment ends up on their feet. But... I don't know why Becky didn't move, obviously, to, to set that up, but non-storyline-wise, I, I, I didn't get that. We saw LA Knight pick up the victory over Ivar to qualify for the chamber. This had a bit of a lull moment to it early on in the match, though. That uh, The barricade spot, I thought, was, I thought that looked awesome. The superplex from LA Knight, I thought, was nice. But Valhalla got involved, and Ivar almost knocked her off the apron, he still was able to hit that spin kick to LA Knight, but LA Knight moved out of the way from that moonsault and hit that BFT to pick up the victory. And then we found out that there's going to be a last chance battle royal for the women. Chelsea Green demanded a spot for the Elimination Chamber. The way, obviously, they want in. Indy Hartwell, in particular. And uh, they, they announced that it's going to be Raw and SmackDown superstars. And Chelsea obviously doesn't want to battle Royal. She wants one-on-one. And then she was talking trash about Shayna Baszler. And Shayna and Zoe Stark overheard Chelsea talking trash. They were like, we were just in here to talk about the Kabuki Warriors. But now this battle Royal sounds pretty good. So Chelsea kind of booked herself and backed herself into a corner perhaps. But uh, I, I feel like maybe... Indy Hartwell has to be the, the the one to make it. Earlier, though, they showed footage of Sami Zayn in a sit-down interview, which was basically the same thing that we got last week. Shinsuke Nakamura interrupted this and threatened him. And then we saw Cody Rhodes give Sami Zayn a pep talk later on. We found, uh, we found out Drew McIntyre is going to be facing Cody next week. And McIntyre told Cody that it would be in his best interest to get out of the match because you're not going to make it to WrestleMania if you face me. And then Drew warned Sami Zayn to keep his name out of his mouth 
and stay out of his business. Fast forward to the main event of Monday Night Raw. Shinsuke Nakamura picks up the victory over Sami Zayn. Good main event. But Drew McIntyre ran down to distract Sami Zayn. Nakamura was able to hit the Kinshasa off of that. And then McIntyre got in the ring afterwards, stomped Sami Zayn out. Shinsuke Nakamura joined in. And then Cody Rhodes obviously made the save to close Monday Night Raw. So it's weird to to see that. Like, obviously, like the mega main event is Roman and Rock right now and Cody. But then there's also the main event where we have McIntyre, Seth, Cody, Sammy at this point, and Shinsuke Nakamura. So I like how they're intertwining with the the Ross storyline, at least. We'll have to see how it works out with SmackDown. Moving over to NXT, it opened up with Metaphor backstage, just relaxing in their locker room, maybe preparing for, for a match or so. And Von Wagner and Robert Stone showed up. Big sneak attack. Big brawl with them. They brawl to the ring. Robert Stone's kids gave Jakara and Lash Legend opposite directions when they were asked which way they went. And that, that was really funny. I think, I, I keep saying this, his kids have to be like Hollywood actors. They are, are fantastic in what they do. But it led to the match and Metaphor actually picked up the victory over Von Wagner and Robert Stone. Um, I feel like a lot of it was controlled by Metaphor when they went up against Robert Stone. But when Von Wagner got that hot tag in, he took over. And I liked how Noam Dar was so disappointed when he was like, oh, come on, pretty much when when Von Wagner got that tag. But the match ended, really, when Lash Legend and Jakara Jackson distracted the referee. Oromensa was able to chop Von Wagner down. Noam Dar picks up the victory. I like that Byron Saxton... I think it was Byron mentioned that Robert Stone in his past has faced Kurt Angle. Little nod to TNA without actually mentioning TNA. And I think it, it pumps up Robert Stone by saying, like, yes, he in his past wrestled a WWE Hall of Famer, Kurt Angle. That's a big name. So I thought that was pretty cool. We saw Alexis King backstage later on making fun of, of the loss. And he told uh Robert Stone, he's like, oh. When I have my match, why don't you come out there and uh, have your kids sit ringside so they could look up to a real winner? We also saw no quarter catch crew surrounding the Heritage Cup. Charlie Dempsey explained what uh, the, the Heritage Cup meant. And then Noam Dar showed up and Dempsey said that they plan on winning the, the Heritage Cup. We saw Chase U, where they moved back in their classroom. Duke got his trophy back. Andre thanked JC Jane for getting Chase U back, which was funny. And then Adriana Rizzo showed up and JC paid her money. So I guess something was there with uh, the D'Angelo family. I don't remember if we were supposed to know that or not. Uh, After that was a gauntlet match, which I guess didn't really have a winner. Ridge Holland, first of all, beat Wolfgang which we did not see. It happened during a commercial break. And then Mark Coffey was out next. And I guess Ridge won that via DQ or something, but Joe Coffey got involved, and then the three of them beat Ridge Holland down. Ridge took over, beat them down with a chair, and that was the end of the segment. So the gauntlet match didn't really fully go. 
but he did technically win the two of the, th- the two of the three matches. So there should be that third match next week or so. And then we saw Lola Vice pick up the victory over Tatum Paxley. Lyra Valkyria uh, ran down during the match to support Tatum. Lola Vice kept hitting these, what I would call knockout blows to Tatum Paxley. And Tatum kept kicking out. At one point, she got her foot on the rope. And she ends up tapping out in the end. But I thought that was a, a great build of character for Tatum Paxley to have what looked like knockout blows. Even with the, the foot on the rope spot, I thought it was good. But Lyra Valkyria ends up carrying Tatum Paxley to the back. Shotzi shows up. They apparently went back and forth on Twitter. And now she has a title shot for next week's episode of NXT, which Roxanne Perez was pissed off at. And she ended up slapping Ren Ren Sinclair over the suggestion of Roxanne maybe facing the winner of that match. We saw Jada Parker pick up the victory over Adriana Rizzo, which I thought was decent. I would have liked a lot more from this, though. But Jada Parker, in the end, wins with that strong forearm after um, after Adriana Rizzo was like, bring it. So I like that. It showed like guts. It showed attitude. And I think they both look good in the ring. There was like minor things, but overall, I, I thought it was good. Uh, Carmelo Hayes then picked up the victory over Joe Gacy. They aired a video of Dijak re-watching the clip of Joe Gacy costing him the match last week. Gacy's entrance for this it was filmed upside down. That I thought it was pretty cool. Tripped me out for a second. I liked the mind games that Joe Gacy played with Carmelo here. And I thought it was a pretty solid match. In the end, I think obviously Carmelo Hayes needed this victory. But in the end, uh, also my, my favorite part from this, I liked that boss man slam that Joe Gacy hit off the springboard. But Melo hits nothing but net, picks up that victory. And then Mello seemingly calls out Ilya Dragunov. And we found out that we'll hear from Dragunov next week. Dijak showed up afterwards and beat Joe Gacy up with a nightstick. And then he put Joe Gacy in a straitjacket. So maybe it's leading to one of those straitjacket matches or something. I don't know. Seems likely. We saw Obafemi come out. And he said Dragon Lee is the first of many defeats. And I think he asked for challengers. That's what I got out of it. And Lexus, he was basically like, uh, anybody you give me will not make it or something. So something like that. But Lexus King showed up to congratulate him. And he's like, oh, I was the reason pretty much why you won the championship. I softened Dragon Lee up. And then Obafemi gave him a title shot for next week. And Lexus King tried to attack him, but Femi stopped it and... King escaped before he can get uh, injured. We saw Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen get into a fight backstage, which Ava told them to settle it in the ring, which is happening next week. But I guess that makes me wrong with what I said last week. When Josh Briggs did what he did to Brooks Jensen, I just thought it was going to be like a wake-up call sort of thing. I, I didn't see it as some sort of heel turn moment. But now, I mean, it still can be that. It could just be where Brooks is like pissed off. Like how brother, we were brothers. 
And now he wants a piece of him to prove like, hey man, I am more than that. Then we saw Kiana James pick up the victory over Brindley Reese. Izzy Dame took Reese out behind the referee's back. To me, that makes the referee kind of look stupid because like the referee saw the position outside. She was up. She was fine. And then when the referee turns back around, she's down. How do you not like, hello, she's right there. So she got involved again later on in the match in front of the referee. Referee told her, get off the apron. Overall, I thought it was a decent match. I would have been surprised if Brinley won this match, but Malik Blade and, and Idris Sanofi spoke about the match afterwards and Reese showed up super happy. Even though she lost, she was happy with how the match went. She knows Kiana James has experience and now she gains experience from that loss. And Idris Sanofi was confused. Malik Blade seemed to be down with that. So maybe this positive journaling attitude gimmick that Brindley is having will be passed on to Idris Sanofi and Malik Blade and they'll finally embrace that and and be built up eventually. In the main event, we saw the Wolf Dogs, the Dusty Classic winners, pick up the victory over the D'Angelo family to become the new NXT Tag Team Champions. We saw Braun Breaker backstage earlier, kind of nervous in regards to his big decision about Raw and SmackDown, but Baron Corbin talked him up, and he said that it's because he has not won a title in years. I think it's seven years or something like that. And he said he needs a title. And as far as the match, I was pretty torn because I really wanted the Wolf Dogs to win the titles, but I also didn't quite want the D'Angelo's to win to, to lose the titles yet. But this was a crazy back and forth match. Corbin ends up getting sent into the steel steps. Braun Breaker goes through the commentary table, and just when it looked like the D'Angelo's are going to retain their championships. Corbin comes out of nowhere, breaks up the hit, the pin. Corbin goes on to, to do the end of days to stacks. Breaker hits that huge spear and they picked up the victory. And I think that's fantastic that Baron Corbin is a tag team champion now. I think it's great that Braun Breaker is a champion in WWE. I'm pumped for this run. I don't know where it'll lead to. Maybe we'll see uh, a big tag team name come in for stand and deliver and, and face the wolf dogs I think that'd be pretty cool but that's NXT moving over to Smackdown it opened up with Kevin Owens picking up the victory over Dominic Mysterio to qualify for the elimination chamber Dom cut a promo beforehand to major booze uh, this went outside and R-Truth showed up which distracted Kevin Owens, but KO controlled most of the match. I like the three amigos spot from Dominic and Kevin Owens together. Um, Dom ended up telling R-Truth to get him a chair. The whole crowd was like, no, don't do it, don't do it. And Truth went and got a chair, planted it down, sat right in it. And it pretty much led to Kevin Owens hitting that pop-up powerbomb on Dominic and picking up the victory there. We saw Tiffany Stratton pick up the victory over Zelina Vega to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. I liked Zelina Vega's gear. I liked the combo of blue and orange. Uh, but Legato showed up during this. And then they cut to commercial. And when they came back from commercial, 
the LWO came back out, which I thought was kind of goofy that it took them a whole commercial break to show up. But the match I enjoyed, the, the 619 spot to Tiffany Stratton's ankle was cool, which uh, caused Tiffany Stratton to fall face first onto the top rope, the turnbuckle pad. Uh, but Zelina Vega grabbed Electra Lopez over the barricade, threw her back over the barricade, and then Tiffany Stratton pretty much took over from there. We saw the Authors of Pain pick up the victory over Javier Barnell and Bo Morris, which was pretty much over before it started, and I think Authors of Pain needed this victory here. Not even victory, they needed a match. Uh, Logan Paul picked up the victory over The Miz to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. We saw Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Braun Breaker, and Jade Cargill up in a suite watching this with Nick Aldis for some reason. But this was Logan Paul's first like normal non-PLE match in WWE. So I thought that was pretty cool to see that. I feel like he should be wrestling at Madison Square Garden soon. I don't know what, I guess the next time they'll probably be there unless they show up during the summer, I assume is the, the holiday tour. But as far as match goes, I thought there were some good false finishes in this. Logan tried to use brass knuckles and Miz hit him from behind. They fell off and then Miz picked them up. The referee saw him and warned him, if you use those, that's a DQ. So Miz throws them and they go back into the match and Logan Paul eventually hits like, I guess they called it a reverse, um, a reverse uh, skull crushing finale. I don't know if it was supposed to be that or what. I don't know what that was. But it was cool to see Logan Paul wrestling on SmackDown. And then we saw Tiffany Stratton interact with Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan after this in regards to the chamber. And Jade Cargill was pissed off that they were arguing during her meeting. Braun Breaker was in there as well. They were both there with the contracts. And Nick Aldis actually announced that Braun Breaker is now signed to SmackDown, he came out, they celebrated. Um, what happens with the Wolf Dogs? Who knows? We saw Naomi pick up the victory over Alba Fire to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. Isla Dawn got involved behind the referee's back multiple times. But even with that, you had to know that Naomi was the one winning this. And in the end, she made Alba Fire tap out. Uh, earlier in the night, we saw Damage Control had a video message for Bailey, and Dakota Kai was worried about them coming after her. And she pleaded with Bailey. And Bailey just told her she can't trust anybody and walked away from Dakota Kai. And I feel like if they have been the highest viewed segments outside of maybe The Rock and Cody, then I think feel like they should have had more with them on this episode of SmackDown. Especially because Bailey was the Royal Rumble winner. I want more to that story. I don't want that little... It was like a... a maybe combined like a minute and 15 seconds together. But to close out SmackDown, you had the segment with Roman Reigns and The Rock where the bloodline came out first. And Roman said that this is a historic night because it's the first night that they can say that The Rock is a member of the bloodline. And The Rock showed up in a 
heavy quotes here. $500 vest, something straight out of the Attitude Era. It was awesome to see that. The Rock did his classic heel rock promo. And he spoke to the crowd in that heel manner, which was great. But he also spoke about how they had Rock versus Roman at WrestleMania, the biggest main event in WrestleMania history. And the fans flushed it down the toilet because we want Cody. And then The Rock made some sport analogies as to why Cody shouldn't get another shot at WrestleMania. But they literally don't make sense. The 49ers did not win a Royal Rumble. <laughs> so it's like, eh, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. But all in all, it was cool to see a heel rock promo. I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what to do with this, uh, how to feel, I should say. Because we're getting Cody versus Roman. I really just want Bailey versus EO in that main event night one. I really feel like they deserve it. And I don't want to see some tag match if that's what it's going to be or something. I really hope it's Bailey and EO. But I enjoyed this version of The Rock. We'll see more from him, I assume, after the chamber. Um, and that's, that's SmackDown. I'm going to take a quick little break right now, and I'll be right back here on Marking Out. Hey, this is Greg Buttle from the Jets, and you're listening to Marking Out. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Marking Out, episode 680. Going to talk about some rampage from last week. It opened with Undisputed Kingdom picking up the victory over the best friends. They brawled forever before this match. I thought the match itself was fine, but this feud has been absolutely boring to me. Because they literally went from caring about the main event championship to the Ring of Honor tag team titles and now the international championship and everyone that the Undisputed Kingdom took out just faded out of the storyline and I think Roderick Strong clearly has to win this championship at Revolution but even you go to Dynamite this past week the Bang Bang Scissor Gang they don't care about the Undisputed Kingdom. They were taken out. They should be. They should care. That should be number one priority. On uh, Rampage, though, we saw the Young Bucks pick up the victory over Mondo Rocks and Robbie Litt. I could not care less about this match, and I think it's beyond goofy that this is how the Young Bucks build up to become number one contenders. They didn't even build anything up. It was this match against enhancement talent and then top flight. So that's dumb. And they took all the excitement behind Sting's retirement and just ripped it out, ripped it away from me. All of it. After that, Mystico picked up the victory over Matt Seidel. This I thought was some good back and forth action. And I really enjoyed this match. Um, I feel like Mystico had to win this. Not that Matt Seidel gets any victories in AEW, but Mystico, you want to build up the, the CMLL guys, so very much so, especially because he's one of the bigger names from the group, maybe the biggest. So he definitely needed that victory there. We saw Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale pick up the victory of the Outcasts. We saw the Outcasts uh, cheat a few times. 
And Ruby Soho was not really having that at all. And Soraya accidentally clocked Ruby Soho. At one point, Ruby ends up costing them the match. Instead of getting the tag from Soraya, she dropped off the apron, clocked Harley Cameron, and left. In, in this match, I thought the Stokely stuff was funny. But afterwards, the big thing that happened, Sky Blue showed up. And then the lights went out and Julia Hart showed up next to her. Sky Blue's been missing for about a month or so. So I was happy that she was back. And it led to action on Dynamite, which I'll talk about. Over on AEW Collision, we saw... Uh, the show opened with the Blackpool Combat Club pick up the victory over CMLL guys. Esfinge and Star Jr., both of them were impressive. But look at them versus Blackpool Combat Club. And I wish I could watch this match thinking that Team, team CMLL had a shot at winning, but there was just no way John Moxley was losing. The bigger thing, FTR showed up afterwards, led to a brawl between the two teams. And then the Ring of Honor locker room spilled out. Not Daniel Garcia. He didn't run out to help FTR. And he was in action. Right after that. Could have very much so ran out to help them. Especially since he was ranked with FTR. So Garcia then goes on to pick up the victory over Shane Taylor. Shane controlled a lot of this match. But in the end, Garcia made him tap out with that knee bar. And like I've been saying, Shane Taylor, I don't think he's won a match in AEW. After that, Brian Cage picked up the victory over the Outrunners. Brian Cage on Rampage had a promo about Hook. So that's why this match took place. And granted, Brian Cage won the match a lot quicker than Hook did. I think Cage already looks like he can do this. So I feel like they should have had him maybe face three people instead of two. But the biggest takeaway from this was Christian Cage taking out the mascot for the Golden Knights. Only to have Hook come out and brawl with him and... That, that led to them brawling to the back, and they literally just did a brawl segment with FTR and Blackpool Comic Club. Would you do the same thing over and over again? Back to back? And then Edge was interviewed where he's ranked third somehow, and Tony Schiavone wanted to know since he's in third place, even though he has more victories, more wins than Hangman and Swerve, which title will you go for? He could pick the TNT, the international, the, the thing that Eddie Kingston has. And he was hinting at the TNT championship. And then Daniel Garcia came out and said he was thinking he deserves a TNT title shot. Which Edge has more wins. Then it sets up a match on Dynamite where the winner somehow faces Christian. Even though Edge, if Edge lost that match, he would still have... A better record than Daniel Garcia. And I feel like this segment should have just been done after Daniel Garcia's match. With Garcia saying, hey, I deserve a TNT title shot. And then Edge comes out and he's like, nah, bro. 
And then that sets up this segment. There was no need to have like that giant gap in the the show. We saw Brody King pick up the victory over Mark Briscoe. Uh, I guess Julia Hart's not cleared to wrestle. I haven't seen people talk about it, but someone sent us a picture. She had posted back in January saying that she wasn't cleared. And very much so with this match, just like with Daniel Garcia, FTR just stopped caring about House of Black. I don't understand how that makes any sense whatsoever. I understand that Mark Briscoe wants to be a single star, but you're in the same feud that FTR was in. And then three-fourths of the team that was part of the feud just dropped out and stopped caring. Daniel Garcia doesn't care. FTR, for some reason, they don't care. Mark Briscoe got hurt in the match trying to help out FTR and Daniel Garcia, but they don't care. That makes no sense at all. As far as the match goes, Mark had a bit of offense in, mainly just Brody King crushing him. And then Julia Hart got involved, which allowed for Brody to send Mark off the top rope through a table that Mark Briscoe himself set up. And then Julia stabbed Mark Briscoe with a, a, a spike afterwards. And that ended that segment. We saw Deanna Perrazzo pick up the victory over Kiara Hogan, which is really the same thing every single week with the women. It happens in the next match as well. Why should we get behind a match when it's so painfully obvious who's winning that match? Kiara Hogan has not won a TV match in AEW since July 2022 when she teamed with Jade Cargill. Which is, there's absolutely no reason for that either. I think Kiara Hogan is a completely underutilized talent in AEW. And then we fast forward, Tony Storm picks up the victory over Queen Aminata. And this seemed like it only took place as an anything you can do, I can do better sort of thing with with Deanna Perrazzo. But Queen Aminata took way longer to put away than Kiara Hogan did. Uh, After that, Orange Cassidy in the main event picked up the victory over Ishii to retain the international championship. Ishii has never won a singles match in AEW. And that goes back to everything. Why should we care? He's not won anything. That's the story of this week's episode of, of Collision. Everyone that lost on this episode had a combined TV win record in AEW of 14 victories since 2021, I think it was. Or, or I mean, we could even say since 2019. And that's split between nine people with only Mark Briscoe Kiera Hogan and Ishii having actual victories in the company. How is there nobody in the company that sees that and, and is like, oh, we can't do this? It makes absolutely no sense. And then the show closed with the Undisputed Kingdom attacking Orange Cassidy, only to have Ishii run them off. And then Trent showed up with a chair and they were already out of the ring by then. Uh, and then that really pretty much sets up the main event of... Dynamite somehow, I, I I don't, I still don't get it, but Dynamite kicked off with John Moxley picking up the victory over Dax Harwood. I like the match. I wish it didn't go to the, the outside of the ring as much as it did, but Mox, at the end of the match, kept that sleeper locked in, and Dash ran out to fight him off, 
Claudio took him out. And for me, that's one of those moments where how do you not reverse a decision? The match is long over. Mox got the, the choke still long on. Where, where, where's the officiating there? After that, the Don Callis family backstage. Don Callis was interviewed. He wants them on Revolution, so he's booking his own against his own. Takeshita versus Will Ospreay. I, I don't see any sense in that unless you're having Takeshita turn or Will Ospreay turn. And I don't know if I see either of those happening. We did see Don Callis slap Takeshita the other week. So maybe we see Takeshita finally break away from the Don Callis family. Even though I had hoped for this to be his launching pad. And uh, he's done nothing. They've done nothing with him. After that, Wardlow picked up the victory over Barrett Brown. Don't have to talk about that. Edge versus Daniel Garcia went to a no contest. And uh, Daniel Garcia got a lot in this match. So he looked good. But Nick Wayne and Killswitch attacked them during the match. Matt Menard got involved when Christian grabbed chairs. And Killswitch took him out. Edge had a quick comeback, but with his own chair. And then Shayna Wayne low-blowed Edge. And Christian got the concerto on him anyway. And it seemingly sets up a triple threat match. But it also seems like Edge is going to be out until after Revolution. Where we will just see... Daniel Garcia versus Christian for that TNT championship. We had an in-ring segment with Samoa Joe, Hangman, and Swerve. Samoa Joe's pissed off. He'll take them both out. Swerve, I'll be champion. And then Hangman's annoyed because he signed a contract to see who's going to be the number one contender. And Swerve couldn't do it. Which, it makes no sense to me because he also could not do it. He didn't win the match, nor did Swerve. So... And both of them tied in first place, regardless of that first week of rankings where Swerve was somehow one and Hangman was two. But Joe basically just reiterated, Revolution, I'll beat both of you. Whatever. Young Bucks pick up the victory over Top Flight. Could not care less about this. So congratulations to AW for making me not care about Top Flight. And after the match, they went to attack Tony Schiavone. Darby Allen came out, made the save, cut a promo, basically kind of word for word what the IWC would be saying. And he sets up the match for Revolution, which is such a shame. Uh, and also the Blackpool Combat Club have more, uh, a better record than the Young Bucks. So that doesn't make sense to me either. The promo, by the way, I think did more to get Cody Rhodes over than anybody in the company over. No explanation for last week. And at this point, I just don't care about Sting's retirement match, which is unfortunate. After that, Willow Nightingale picked up the victory over Sky Blue. I I like this match. I thought both of them looked good in this match. That, that pounce from Willow that sent Sky Blue flying out of the ring was awesome. And Stokely ends up distracting the referee at one point, which cost Sky Blue the match. And I thought for sure... Sky Blue is going to be the one winning this match, given everything with her and Julia Hart. But Stokely helped Willow get that victory. And then the main event, Orange Cassidy picked up the victory over Matt Taven in a random Texas death match, maybe because they were in Texas. I I have nothing to say about this. I have no idea why this happened. I understand 
that the kingdom, the undisputed kingdom beat down Chuck Taylor, but another Texas death match. No, absolutely not. Not at all. And that's, uh, that's my take on AEW. That's dynamite. Hey, Brandon, got any shout outs? This is Miss Piggy, and you should be listening to moi instead of Brandon's shout-outs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith gets the first shout-out. It's a new series on Amazon Prime based on the Angelina Jolie-Brad Pitt movie, I believe, which I never saw. So I was I went into this show blind. It just, based on the trailer, looked like a fun, uh, serious comedy television program. Donald Glover and Maya Erskine uh, star in it. They're two spies that get paired up to impersonate a married couple. And a lot of people I saw say that it's nothing like the movie. I enjoyed it. The reviews, I think, are very mixed. I finished the series. I hope it seems like if there's going to be a next season, it might not be them. And they could just do like, an anthology, I guess, sort of situation. But I do hope to see these characters again. Uh, After that, I'm going to give a shout-out to The Underdogs, which came out the other week on Amazon Prime as well. It stars Snoop Dogg as a washed-up football superstar. He ends up having to do community service and starts uh, starts to coach a youth football team. To me, it's like the Bad News Bears, but a lot more cursing. And uh, Tika Sumter, Mike Epps, George Lopez, Andrew Schultz, Cal Penn, Candy Burris are all in it. And it was inspired by Snoop Dogg's real life Snoop Youth Football League, I believe. And I liked, there were some jokes that kind of broke the fourth wall. I thought that was funny. And overall, I enjoyed it. A lot of unbelievable stuff happens in it, but it's still enjoyable. It's not the best of best, but I I would watch the movie again, and I, I thought it was good. The last shout-out goes to Suncoast, which is out on Hulu now. It stars Laura Linney, Nico Parker, and Woody Harrelson, which is apparently inspired by the writer-director's life from the early 2000s, and it follows a teenager living with her mom and her brother, but they both take care of the brother because he's dying from brain cancer and he can't speak anymore. He can't move anymore. And they eventually move into a hospice and, uh, the, the two of them are living there with him while he's dying. And there's a back and forth struggle for the teen to just feel like a normal teenager. All the while it's the same facility where Terry Shivo was. And all those protests were happening outside when they wanted to remove the the feeding tube and everything. And I guess the the main thing that you could take away from this is that there really isn't one right way to grieve. So I I enjoyed this movie. I I would like to know how much of this was like actually true, because it seems like she actually did have a brother that that went through this. So it's very unfortunate for somebody to have to deal with that. Um, But those are my shout outs. Now it's time for my. 
that is right. My mark out moments of the week. I got to mention last week, uh, Steve McMichael has been nominated to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wrestling fans would know him from WCW. He was also part of the buildup to WrestleMania 11 with Bam Bam Bigelow and LT. Before that, he was most famously a Chicago Bear. Won a Super Bowl with them in 1986. And it's it's an absolute shame that he has ALS now and has to deal with that. But I'm so happy that he's being inducted to the Hall of Fame and at least is here to know that he's being inducted to the Hall of Fame. So I, I think that's really cool that uh, Mongo is getting inducted. Uh, S- Super Bowl ads, might as well mention them. John Cena was in a few of the, the FanDuel kicking bet commercials with Gronk leading up to the Super Bowl. And then Gronk did the kick. He missed. And then during the Super Bowl, they had another ad where Cena was celebrating that Gronk missed the kick, which I thought was really funny. And it also included a nice tribute to Carl Weathers. Jade Cargill was in a Mountain Dew Baja Blast ad with Aubrey Plaza which was completely unexpected to see. I thought that was pretty cool. She did a frog splash from the top rope. We had a Kawasaki ad with Stone Cold Steve Austin with a mullet. It was very weird to see him with hair again, but uh, it was pretty cool that he was part of a Super Bowl ad. And then WWE Hall of Famer Arnold Schwarzenegger was in a State Farm ad, and I popped at the reunion of him with Danny DeVito, a uh, twins reunion. And then, of course, another WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. T. He was in a Skechers commercial. I think it's always cool to see uh, wrestling-related people in the Super Bowl ads because the Super Bowl is the most watched thing. It was 123-plus million people tuned in. I think they tuned in more so for Taylor Swift. Kind of maybe a reason why I tuned in. But something else that I pop for in regards to the Super Bowl, Jason Kelsey was celebrating his brother's victory, partying, wearing a Chiefs Rey Mysterio mask. And I thought that he had probably the best time post-Super Bowl. It seemed like he was uh, really enjoying himself. So it was pretty cool to see. It was also cool to see the locker room celebrating with the, the, the Super Bowl WWE Championship, the Chiefs Championship. I thought that's awesome to see always. During the Super Bowl, they dropped the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer, which looks awesome. I think it's the most watched trailer in YouTube history. I, I, I just, at this point, can't wait to finally see the movie. There are so many, like, what-ifs about it that I'm, I'm pumped to see it. And then one more thing that I marked out for is that 2K, they gave us a preview of um, The Fiend. We now know The Fiend, his whole entrance was shown off for WW2K24. So it's nice to have him back in the video game. And then they confirmed 16 of the 21 matches for the showcase with the Firefly Funhouse match from WrestleMania 36 being one of them. So we get a few Bray Wyatt attires. We get uh, a few John Cena's from that match as well. I'm also excited to see Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle from WrestleMania 20. They have... Macho Man vs. Steamboat, and they announced that George Steele is going to be part of it, as he was there with Ricky Steamboat. 
Whether or not he becomes a playable character other than just a managerial slot is beyond me. It would seem pretty stupid if he wasn't playable, but I feel like, uh, I think if if he is playable, then that's his first appearance since uh, Here Comes a Pain, maybe? If I'm not mistaken, I could be very wrong on that, but I'm looking forward to that. I really wish they would put young Andre the Giant in the game. But we'll see the other matches that aren't announced from that showcase. I have to assume they are names they can't uh, talk about due to legal reasons. But they also confirmed uh, Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch from WrestleMania 35. Ronda Rousey is no longer in the company, but we are getting that match as part of the showcase. So I'm looking forward to at least having... Ronda Rousey in the game still. I did not think we were going to have her. I hope we're able to use her music in the menu finally. Although I doubt it. We also found out that Post Malone is curating the soundtrack. And he'll be available via DLC. So I think that's cool. I think it was awesome when MGK was added. Because they added unique moves for him. So I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully unique moves for Post Malone. Uh, The soundtrack doesn't really come off as a wrestling game soundtrack, but those are the mark out moments of the week. And that is episode 680. Thank you so much for tuning in Uh, on behalf of Chris and Dave. You can follow us collectively at marking out. You can follow me, BTTG161, Chris Sweendog, CMSween85, David PTDPT, Facebook.com slash marking out. YouTube and Instagram is marking out 11 uh, prowrestlingtees.com slash marking out at marking out on TikTok. You could subscribe, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, markingout.com as well. And we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Yeah.